Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 353. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Great to see you in this new year. Happy New Year, our very first episode of the year. We're going to talk about some very interesting questions, including what are our thoughts of patch 2O, or is it pat H2O in skincare products? Does tetrahexadecyl ascorbate degrade quickly due to oxidative stress? Is argireline or matrixyl worth using? What are exosomes? And finally, how do keratin treatments work on hair and what are the benefits and disadvantages of doing them? But first... Inane Chit Chat, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I did my, I covered one of my first goals of the year already. Wow, look at you. Yeah, I have this goal. Every year I have this goal to donate blood three times. And so today I went and donated blood. Wow, already checking that off. Do you, so you don't do, I thought you did it every 56 days or you know, the the amount of time you have to wait in between to donate. I thought you did that. They would want you to, and I get contacted mm. by the blood people, like, all the time. <laughs> they're, they're so obnoxious. But I I figure, you know, I do three times a year. I'm doing more than my part, right? Don't you have a needed blood type, though? I'm O positive, which is... I think that's pretty good. So it's it's one of the more common ones, so... Yeah, I'm A negative. I think that's like 12% of the adult population has that. Yeah, A negative. There's not a lot of people who can take that, right? Yeah. No. Mm-mm. If I was only O negative, uh, more people would get to use me. But I like to think that I'm a positive person. So O positive works for me. And I'm a negative person. I wonder if the Rho factor has anything to do with our personalities. <laughs> well, I'm not negative. I'm a realist. Sure, sure. <laughs> On this show, do I come off more of a negative sort than you? I mean, I'm sort of... Mm, that's very interesting. More cynical, I suppose. <laughs> Although you're pretty <laughs> cynical, too. Well, we've just kiboshed that whole theory. I haven't accomplished a single thing yet this year, so I, f- I feel very behind compared to you. Oh, I also finished reading a book. So, <laughs> so. In, Really, we're less than three days into the new year, and you've already checked one book off. I have checked one book off, but you know, I I went back to my seventy book goal. It used to be I used to just do fifty two, so one book a week. That seems reasonable. But then I was always getting farther ahead of that. So I've downgraded my book reading goal. Twenty six books. That is roughly a book every other week. It is unlikely to be accomplished. Now I feel like why set the goal if I can't do it? I feel like I could do it. If I had a a two-week chunk where I took a vacation and I just read a bunch of books, plowed right through them. Sure. Yeah. You know, if you achieve your goals, then you're probably not setting them high enough. (laughs) Exactly. Now, I don't think it'll happen because I am actually going to be teaching a cosmetic science course through University of California, Riverside. Wow. Wow. That's that's exciting. Now, what topic? Is it just general cosmetic science or is it specific? 
Well, my uh, industry colleague, Dr. Ryan Kudla, is going to be teaching Introduction to Cosmetic Science, and I will be teaching Skin and Hair Biology. Oh, that's fun. Or as we should say, with hair, skin and uh, hair chemistry, because hair is biologically dead, but chemically alive. That's something I've said for many years. But uh, nonetheless, that will take a big chunk of my time this spring. Well, that's exciting. Now, are you going to have to do that in person, or is that virtual? Well, what's great about this program, it's actually part of the certificate program through University of California, Riverside, is it's done remotely. The lab course, the lab courses will be in person, uh, which is a specific class that's not being offered this semester. And the uh, study material um, where you're actually learning about skin and hair biology can be done remotely. Well, that sounds very cool. I'll have to sneak in on some of those lectures. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't think you'll be allowed in. I'm going to make sure you are blocked unless you're signed up for the class. But you can you can do a little preview on, uh, on for our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let's head over to Beauty Science News. Well, I think we both noticed the same story this week. A Sephora lotion attracts spiders. Did You saw this one, right? I did see this one, and it's very interesting. First of all, I'm a big fan of wolf spiders. I don't know if you know that. Uh, uh, we get them here in Chicago, but they're pretty much around the world, or around the country. Anyway, but uh, then I saw this, like, how is this even a story? It, it came from TikTok? Like, do news news organizations just troll TikTok for stories? TikTok nowadays is a reputable source for news fodder. Wow. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Well, I actually didn't see the story right away. I got contacted by a well-known publication, and I thought it was a scam at first because they said, hey, we have these questions. It was a lot of questions about spiders, questions about body butters. And I was like, what do these two things have to do with each other? And then I, I figured out what it was about. And guess what? I declined to be an expert interviewee in the story because at the end of the day, a cosmetic chemist, unless they're also a spider expert, they're not gonna know the answers to these questions. Is a spider attracted to body butter, that sort of thing? And so I said, you know, thank you for thinking of me, but I'm not a spider expert. Yeah, this would be more appropriate for a, a spider expert. Although I would say like a spider expert isn't gonna know what's in a body lotion either. So maybe it's one of those things where you have to, you know, you, you need an expert who sort of knows both things. And I, I don't think it, there's a lot of those. <laughs> well, it could be great if I connected with an expert, right? And then we could sure. talk it through, like spiders are attracted to these pheromones or types of compounds. And it's like, wow, well, you know, perhaps in the fragrance of this body butter, uh, because there would be nothing in the actual oils or emulsifiers itself, right. maybe there's something sending a signal out to a spider. Now, if this were true. So what happened is, Basically, somebody put on the Sol de Janeiro body butter, which, by the way, smells amazing. I think it smells amazing. And they said uh, spiders were following them around. And so other (laughs) people have been leaving out this lotion, and then they come back and say it's absolutely covered in spiders. Come on. that that, There's no way that is true. There's no way. Do you think they used AI to get the images or information or what uh, uh, yeah or people just read i mean it was on reddit so people are just right in oh yeah this had spiders on it and they don't have to put photographic proof so <laughs> yeah no i don't i do not believe this one bit spiders first of all but wolf spiders they're like uh they're not pack animals they don't want to be near each other 
for any, no, they any have, length of time. They have two right? big eyeballs and furry looking teeth, and they want to be left alone. Well, they, they actually have like eight eyeballs, but they're, you know, <laughs> compound eyes. And so, spiders have a lot of eyes. I, I used to be a bit of a spider uh, spider fan in, in my youth. I used to love insects and, and uh, amphibians. I always loved amphibians. Well, anyway, <laughs> there's no way that this lotion is attracting spiders where you're going to get a pile of spiders on it if you left it out. Now, is this your cosmetic chemist opinion, spider opinion, or both? Uh, it's, it's my personal opinion based on the, the knowledge that I have in my background of cosmetic ingredients and my uh, affection for spiders <laughs> <laughs> and all the years of reading Spider-Man comic books. That, <laughs> that all factors in. Well, anyway, TikTok setting the record crooked once again. <laughs> again, again. All right. Well, Valerie, you know, I still am uh, smitten with uh, the AI stuff, and I saw a story uh-huh. about uh, AI beauty influencers. Did, did you know AI beauty influencers are a thing? Mm, no, I didn't. Would this be like a fake, tic- uh, fake Instagram or TikTok bot recommending products? Exactly. Just uh, oh. everything is like uh, AI beauty influencer you can do video you can do i think these are more instagram things but they make it seem like they're a person okay and you know using an ai generator like uh mid journey or dolly uh you can create really human looking humans (laughs) even though they're just completely made up and then you just use the ai to create the you know digital messages and all the hashtags and things and there are some of these AIs that are really taken off. They say um, virtual influencers. There's one called Lil Mikela, M-I-Q-U-E-L-A, gained some popularity and even secured some major brand deals. It's so um, stupid. <laughs> I think amazing. it's actually a violation of the Federal Trade Commission policies where there has to be some truth in something. And... You can't have these artificial humans touting how a product works or looks as if it's a personal opinion when there's no person involved. Yeah, I think, though, if you if you say up front, oh, this is an AI, then it's OK. So if you're trying to <laughs> if you're trying to pretend like it's not an AI, uh, then that's a problem. But so is everyone th- aware this uh, Michaela account is a bot? As far as I know, according to this article, people do. And, and and Michaela has been around since, well, on Instagram since 2018. Oh, wow. So it's been around for a while. I suppose it's been easy to make human faces for uh, quite a long time. But this, we're just going to see this, uh, an explosion of these bots, I think, because brands could just make one, and it doesn't cost them, and they don't have to actually pay a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem, they say, is that uh, the key to uh, influencers working is that uh, envy, uh, people have to be jealous of them, and uh, AI-generated contact doesn't actually make people as jealous as if it's a real person. So if you know it's an AI, maybe you don't feel the same about it, but if you think it's a real person, uh, you might be more influenced. That's uh, what people are saying about this. So that's what they say is the problem with these AI things. But I think what they're missing is that these AIs 
you're going to pretty soon be able to trick people into not without if you don't tell them it's a, an AI, you know, how are you going to know? Well, I don't know that it's obvious this is an AI generated account. I, I have yeah. to be honest. I mean, saying you're a 19 year old robot living in L.A., be your own robot, which is the you know description on Michaela's sure. account with 2.6 million follow followers, what? which by the way, some of them are my friends. I'm shocked. <laughs> <Wow>. I'm astonished. <laughs> you know, lots of people say weird stuff all the time in their Instagram profiles. And to me, it, you know, Michaela has very interesting clothing and hairstyle choices. Yeah. yeah and obviously a lifestyle that's very on edge and interesting. And I wouldn't assume right away that she's AI generated just wow. you know i thought oh she's a weirdo yeah well it's very interesting that uh, to see that real people influencers are going to be out competed by ai influencers i mean 2.6 million followers <laughs> that's pretty incredible i'm impressed well, well, anyway, what do we have like 20,000 <laughs> or something like that additively we do right. perhaps or yeah so close well <laughs> should we make an ai cosmetic chemist instagram account <laughs> Maybe they could actually post for us. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> we could have them post. <laughs> well, if our patrons want it, we'll do it. Well, let's head over to some beauty science questions asked by real people. <laughs> real people and not AI-generated voices, at least today. Here's one from Amy. She says, what are your thoughts on patch 2 in skincare products, does it actually penetrate the skin or is it more hype? Have you heard of this patch 2.0? I've seen it before and the stylization of the word, a portmanteau of patch and H2O, which means water, really bothers me because the <laughs> H is capitalized in the word sure. patch. And right. so it just looks disconnected. But it's a material by BASF who are the producers of the raw material blend. Yeah, their BASF is one of the gigantic chemical companies that supply to pretty much everybody in the beauty business. They supply surfactants, uh, polymers, uh, pretty much anything, preservatives, anything you need, you can get from BASF. Yeah, it actually, the company's been around for a very long time, since the late 1800s, and they actually used to be in colorant chemistry. The name uh, BASF stands for Baden Aniline und Soda Fabrik, which mm. means Baden Aniline and Soda Factory, and aniline is an, a term for a, a benzene colorant that's used in the polymerization of uh, hair dyes, and so they actually started out in the colorant industry. Did you know that? Uh. I did not know that. Well, back to patch 2O or patch H2O, whatever you want to serin. Trehalose, urea, serine, pentylene glycol, glycerol polyacrylate, algin, caprylglycol, sodium hyaluronate, polyene disodium, phosphate, and potassium phosphate, which is the buffer system. So basically, it is a blend of humectants. So I watched a video on it, and it says they create this polymer network. The pololan glycerol polyacrylate the uh the yeah and the, and the hyaluronate the, those and then that makes this polymetric matrix which gets freeze dried and all of these the urea the glycerin and the serine all get locked in and it's this <laughs> patch right 
Well, what if you what if you left it on, right? Most of the magic probably comes from the glycerin, to be honest. Right, right. If you left it on, I I would agree. It's it's, it's a good glycerin treatment. It makes for an interesting story. Now, the question of whether it penetrates the skin or not. It, I mean, it penetrates as much as glycerin penetrates. So yeah, it'll you know you rub it in, it'll get in the in to the stratum corneum, but it's not going to go down to the dermis and not going to rebuild collagen or anything like that. Uh, so this is one of those uh, ingredients that makes for a good story. And BASF is a chemical company that has excellent technology, very interesting technology. I just when the rubber hits the road, though, I don't see it providing any amazing new benefit that you couldn't get from yes. you know, petrolatum mineral oil, glycerin, something. Yeah, like that. and and maybe it does work. Maybe they do have some proof. I don't know, but I would really, you know, look to the brand who used it in a final product to validate that proof. Big companies like L'Oreal, Estee Lauder do that all day long. So I would guess if you found it in one of uh, their products or big brands products, they've probably done that work. So, you know, I would imagine it it does something and BASF is very good. They won't uh, market or sell an ingredient if it doesn't do what it says. Right. I suspect that this question was asked by somebody who might be in, even in the industry, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> how how did anyone know about Patch 2.0 unless you were a cosmetic chemist? Because that's a, like a brand name for a cosmetic chemist. So whenever you're trying out new ingredients, always be a little bit skeptical because it's really hard. No matter yeah. what, how much technology you need, it's really hard to just beat the stuff that has been around forever. And that, that's that's why they've been around forever. <laughs> But the beauty industry always needs new technology and a new story because consumers always want something new. But there isn't a lot of new that actually has consumer impact uh, beyond making a better story. And raw material companies have marketing departments too. They, they absolutely do. And they make fabulous products. Our next question comes to us from Natalie. Natalie says, hello, big fan of the podcast. I have a question for consideration. A lot of beauty brands are realizing that L-ascorbic acid, a form of vitamin C, can be irritating to many skin types and are therefore creating products with the derivative tetrahexyldesyl ascorbate. There is some data to support its effectiveness, although not as much as L-ascorbic acid. My question is, does tetrahexyldesyl ascorbate also degrade quickly due to oxidative stress? An article was published in 2021 stating that tetrahexyldesyl ascorbate can and probably should be stabilized with acetyl zingarone. Should we as consumers who are interested in a vitamin C for sensitive skin be looking at vitamin C formulas with tetrahexyldesyl ascorbate and acetyl zingarone for a more effective product? Thank you. Yeah, I looked up this paper she uh, included called uh-huh. Tetrahexadecyl ascorbate degrades rapidly under oxidative stress, but can be stabilized by acetyl zingarone to enhance collagen production and antioxidant effects. I like that zingarone. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun name, right? So I've seen this paper, yeah. and I've also seen the material uh, created by the manufacturer. And it's important to note that this uh, research paper actually is sponsored by the raw material manufacturer of acetyl zingarone who interestingly oh. enough also manufactures tetrahexadecyl ascorbate. And in fact, this manufacturer actually is a big proponent of making sure there's a clear distinction between tetrahexadecyl ascorbate and ascorbyl tetraisopalmitate, which some people say they're the same thing, but they're actually not the same. Mm. They have two different chemical um, cast numbers to them. So 
That being said, when we look at this paper, we want to keep in mind the manufacturer who is basically the author of this paper has an agenda. They want to demonstrate you need this unique proprietary molecule to stabilize tetrahexadecyl ascorbate. And so it's in their Uh interest to show that there is some benefit in having it alongside the tetrahexadecyl ascorbate, which is a pure material that they also sell. So why on earth would they uh, slander this raw material when this raw material being tetrahexadecyl ascorbate is purported to be a very stable form of vitamin C? In fact, uh, compared to ascorbic acid, uh, THDA is a stable form of it. Uh, Ascorbic acid degrades pretty much within uh, 30 minutes. It's starting to degrade under oxidative stress and tetrahexadecyl ascorbate does take I think compared to ascorbic acid, um, several hours to do so. Yeah. You can stabilize, or excuse me, you can use uh, THDA um, in formulas and under ambient storage conditions, have it be stabilized for several months. When you do expose it to oxidative stress, which is heat or sunlight, uh, you can get about two months of stability out of a uh, 3% THDA formulation. Now, 40 degrees at two months is just shy of a couple years at room temperature. So I would say compared to ascorbic acid, it's pretty stable. However, like any ingredient, when you expose it to singlet oxygen or high heat or sunlight, you are going to get some degradation. That all makes sense. What I did find interesting in this study is that they don't actually look at it, how it performs on the skin. This is more like a laboratory to show that the molecule stays more stable under different environmental conditions. And that's interesting from a marketing standpoint, but what does that tell you about the product and whether it works? Does this even work in when when it's formulated in a product? And more importantly, would you as a consumer actually notice any improvement? I don't really know. But then, you know, I don't know about vitamin C anyway. Well, I think you would because from a different supplier, I have a lot of their uh, independent uh, studies that they have conducted looking at skin brightness, antioxidant um, efficacy. They've also done comparisons to ascorbic acid, and they have demonstrated that compared to ascorbic acid, this one is uh, less irritating. It has more antioxidant Mm -hmm. capacity in skin. Because it actually, uh, as an ester, um, esterified vitamin C derivative can uh, penetrate into the skin where it then dissociates into the ascorbic acid active molecule. And so I'm a big believer in it. And I think I mentioned this to you, Perry. We have a a loyal listener. She has purchased my oil-soluble vitamin C and makes her own serums with it and has seen a great improvement um, in her skin. So... Well, that's excellent. I'm a believer. <laughs> then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Anyway, Natalie, I hope that answers your question. Keep in mind that that study is done by someone who has an interest in selling both molecules to you. And I think, you know, while there could be some improvement with acetyl zingarone, I would look for a brand using uh, tetrahexadecyl ascorbate and disclosing the amount that they're using because it is an expensive material. And it can be efficacious at 0.1%. There's some data for that. But 
more data at half a percent, three percent, that kind of thing. And so, you know, for transparency, there should be some, you know, dis, uh, disclosure and correlation to the studies. Sure. But as far as whether you need the zingarone or not, uh, that's still undefined. And if you find uh, THDC by itself, that's probably, if you're going to get a benefit, that, that's going to work too. Look at that. We have an audio question. Hey, guys. Um, I was just wondering what your opinions on Azureline and Matrixel were. And I wanted to know if you guys thought that it was worth investing in or if you guys think that it that it works at all. Um, thank you so much. Love the podcast. Bye-bye. Argeraline and Matrixel. Now, those are two different things. Um, I know The Ordinary has an Argeraline product. Yeah. Argeraline is a peptide blend coming to us from a company called Lipotech. And they basically say it's the cosmetic topical Botox, which is a claim that you can't really make. That's a big drug claim. But what it does is uh, mimics a terminal end of a a a protein within our body. And when this uh, protein is destabilized, once the um, argyrolene interacts with it, your neurotransmitters can't effectively communicate and therefore it uh, prevents muscle contraction and therefore prevents the formation of lines and wrinkles. And this is exactly how uh, Botox Botox works. And so some brands, you know, have gotten in trouble before for uh, saying their product is just like Botox or topical Botox, but uh, the supplier does have some in vivo efficacy, which means uh, applied to humans. Of course, they're going to show the best data, but they really um, like to purport its effectiveness around the eye area and on the neck. Right, that's the argyrolene uh, is the acetyl hexapeptide 8. Um, and yeah, they they say it's going to relax the facial muscles. Come on, it's it's not going to it's not going to be botox level of that. And this how's this peptide getting down to where it would have to cuz that would have for it to have that effect, it would have to get down to the dermis, right? It would cuz you're not going to have muscle uh it's got to go affecting muscles in the stratum corneum. Uh, correct. And there's actually a 2014 study where a group of researchers looked at in vitro skin penetration of this peptide uh, from yeah. a formulation because, you know, of course, there's concern um, whether it's good. Is concern always negative? I don't know. But the article basically <laughs> says there's concern that it could penetrate into the deep layers of the skin and potentially stimulate biological activity, which is exactly what the manufacturer purports, right? And so they basically labeled uh, this peptide, exposed it to uh, hairless guinea pig and human cadaver skin um, in in vitro, not on living animals. And they basically looked at the epidermis and the dermis and the different layers uh, within the epidermis to see where Uh, the peptide ended up. So essentially you take uh, the peptide and you make it radioactive and then you rub the radioactive stuff on the skin and then you can check where is the radiation and they showed some of it in the dermis? Is that what's going on? Well, they showed some of it in the epidermis, uh, which is great. Uh, Which is where you put it directly, so (laughs) it's not surprising. Well, that's good, right? Um, right. And they found no... (laughs) 
uh, peptide in the dermis. Oh. Which is <laughs> so. great, right? I mean, I guess that's good. Well, not if you want it to work. Well. Because <laughs> it has to be in the dermis to, to have the effect, right? That's true. Uh, but anyway, the great <laughs> outcome of the study was that the skin penetration data is helpful for evaluating the safety um, of this small right. peptide. It's definitely safe. It just doesn't go where it needs to go to work. So. <laughs> Apparently, from this study. So. Well, there's a. S- well, however, they they have uh, uh, human studies, right? In vivo tests where it showed it some benefit, right? Well, there is a second study where a okay. different research group in 2015 in the European Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences looked at topical delivery from different emulsions, and basically, ah. they wanted to assess the influence of emulsion composition um, on the delivery uh, of the active. Okay. And in general, there was a clear superiority of water-rich emulsions over um, oil-rich emulsions. Okay. It makes sense. The uh, water stuff can penetrate a little better, I guess. I guess. It's an emulsion. Um, And matrixyl. That's another peptide. Yeah, Matrixel is a trade name, and they actually have a few different trade names uh, for Matrixel, but that's basically the peptide brand of Sederma, which is a part of a raw material supplier called Crota. Ah. And so regular Matrixel's mm-hmm. Palmatoil Pentapeptide 4, Matrixel 3000 is Palmatoil Tripeptide 1, Palmatoil tetrapeptide seven these are real tongue twisters huh yeah uh, matrixyl synth six which is palmitoyl tripeptide 38 and again same thing um you know depending on the actual matrixyl type um, some are more designed for uh, skin repair some are designed for um, evening out uh, skin tone or smoothing skin wrinkles out so it just depends um, on the one. And again, like our Geraldine, they have these in vivo studies where they show skin benefit from formula applications with the peptide in it. Now, I will say, you know, peptides are, are really active materials, and Estee Lauder has done a lot of work um, in the 90s on the be- benefits of these small peptides in skincare. Yeah. Uh, but whether or not you can really see a difference is a different story. I think I mentioned a couple. I feel like you, Perry, where I'm starting to tell the same stories over and over again. <laughs> tell it. We've done 300-something episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, I worked with a chemist, and uh, we worked at a hair company. All of a sudden, these Matrixel samples show up. And I was like, oh, why would you get these? And she was like, oh, so weird. I don't know. And I was like, well, if that's okay, I'd like them. And so I took I took the Matrixel samples and I was loading up a face cream with them, like 5% sure. or 10%, which is much higher than the recommended use level by the supplier. And I couldn't see a difference in my skin over the course of these uh, bottles. But I was also younger yeah. back then. I didn't have a lot of wrinkles because sure. uh, I've been yeah. very good about wearing sunscreen and staying out of the sun. So I don't want to say they don't work, but I also want to say at that time of my skin i didn't notice a difference you know i will say that i don't ever say something doesn't work i would i would say it's not going to work to a level you would notice any difference (laughs) that's that's because sometimes you could you can almost always so show something is working in a laboratory 
but it's when you put it into a, a lotion or a f- final product and it gets on a store shelf and somebody scoops it and puts it onto their skin. That's where people typically are not going to test it because they don't want to risk not showing any noticeable difference. And so uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about almost all of these peptides. Mm. They, they're not these huge difference makers because, you know, for, probably for that main reason, they don't really get down to the dermis very, very much, which is where they'd have to be to work. Well, is it worth investing in? I would probably recommend picking up some from the ordinary. I mean, the great thing about the ordinary, I don't know how they're pulling a profit, but is they have, right. you know, I would say like the most affordable purchase options for these, or you could even right. buy them from an ingredient reseller. I don't personally sell any of these, but there are some that do. And you can pick it up and try using it for yourself and see if you like a difference. So instead of buying a really expensive face cream that has it, you know, pick up some Trixel from a lotion crafters or whatever and pop some into your face cream. You know, uh, if you measure out 100 grams of face cream and you want to use 1%, you would use 99 grams face cream, one gram of the Matrixel or whatever, and and see if you like it. I I would try it that way versus, you know, spending a lot of money and not knowing if the Matrixel or a Geraldine actually made the difference. I think something at the ordinary is, is probably the better route to go. But uh, yeah, if you are going to mix it like that yourself, you could try it out. I wouldn't, I would do that like right away, but you don't want to mix stuff into your finished lotion mm. and then, because that could throw out the preservative and all that kind of stuff. I think it's probably fine. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm Caut- extra cautious, cautious carry. Here. Yep. <laughs> That's right. All right. Next question comes to us from Jacqueline. Hello, Beauty Brains, and a happy 2024 to you both. You know what's uh, just a couple days from now, Valerie? Um, I'm turning the big 20,000. Oh, 20,000 days? I was like, your birthday's not until April, so what yeah. could it be? 20,000 20, days of living. When did I turn 10,000 <laughs> days? You would turn 10,000 days when you were 27. Mm, I missed that. Mm. You missed it, yeah. And you probably missed your billionth second, which is when you're 32 Ugh, and a half. Why didn't you tell me yeah. sooner? Well, you got 64 coming up, so I'll be sure to tell you then. <laughs> All right. All right, back to the question. My question is about exosomes. What are they really, and do they work as well in a home topical serum form as well as an injection in a medical setting? I've heard they will be the biggest trend in 2024, and a full face treatment is $4,000 and up thank you for any info you can share on this new stem cell type product your friend Jacqueline P.S. your porch kitty stories warm my heart I was a foster failure and now have an adorable albeit spoiled Lynx Siamese rescue ah very cute yeah that's nice we got a new porch kitty coming around well the little the little kitten who I call the ink spot but uh, he does he doesn't he's still scared so he runs away but he's coming he'll warm up to you Hey, well, you see all that food he gets here. <laughs> okay, exosomes. I kind of remember these from biology. Yeah, it's a huge topic trending in skincare right now. I once did a project for a dermatologist brand, and they were very into them at the time. I actually didn't get to use them because you really couldn't get them at the time for uh, topical use in cosmetics. But I know some of these derm or medical type brands are are coming out with them. And there are some published papers 
granted open access journals uh, talking sure. about their therapeutic values for tissue regeneration or treating various dermatological diseases. Well, I studied biochemistry in college, so it was a, a lot of years ago, uh, you know, some of those 20, half of those 20,000 days ago. And I do recall exosomes, they were like little things that the cell produces, little uh, vesicular sac-like yep. things that the cell produces. And it's a way to for the cell to do communications within the cell and outside between cells. So that's kind of probably where they were discovered. They're found in, you know, body fluids, saliva, and that kind of thing. And it's mostly about intercellular communication. So you could see why in the field of cosmetics that that would it makes sense to kind of do some research there because it is part of biology already. But how do you make these exosomes that are going to mimic what the cells are mimicking? So uh, that's where the challenge is, I guess. And the other challenge is, do these exosomes, are they able to penetrate the skin and get down to the dermis where the living cells are? Because if it just stays in the stratum corneum, it's just window dressing. It's it's not getting the dog his bone, as we learned in my metaphor from last episode. Yeah, it's interesting because there are lots of papers out there that talk about exosomes, their value in wound healing, treating burns. Um, but the, the challenge is they never really tell you how they get onto the skin or into the skin. For example, uh, there are some adipose-derived stem cells that were uh, evaluated on treating uh, skin that's been burned for wound healing. And it was never really clear if it was uh, injected or topically applied or if there was some effect because with the wounded skin, it's already open. And so the exosomes can penetrate. I haven't seen any skin penetration uh, data on that, but the data in its value um, is definitely there from a medical perspective. The challenge I have, um, I do believe that they can penetrate to some extent because when you have these uh, phospholipid-based vessels and the fact that exosomes are nano-sized, uh, very, very, very tiny. Um, I do believe that they probably have the ability to penetrate, but at that point, does that make them a drug because you're doing some physiological change? Yeah, I think this being a drug product could be a big challenge. Uh, it's in. There is also some notion that you can get, this could be the personalized skincare of the future because you can take uh, some cells from a person and create the exosomes that are personalized for them. So, you know, if it's derived right from your own cells, maybe that has some additional benefit, but that that's way skincare of the future. I don't think that's happening right now. No, I don't think so. It could just be another buzzy thing that's happening in skincare. So... Would you invest in this $4,000 treatment? No, I would not. And the other part of her question was, does a home topical work as well as an injection? The answer to that question is always no. <laughs> Almost always no. I'm going to say always no. <laughs> now, are you going to invest in this? Nah, I think $4,000 is a lot of money for something that probably is not going to have that much payoff. For $4,000, you're probably better off doing some mild plastic surgery, just, just to be honest. If, you know, if you're looking at, yeah, you know, I, I don't like the way my eye area looks, I have these bags, something like that, you're better off getting a blepharoplasty or something like that for the, for the price. And I would want to know, like, how often you have to do this treatment. 
Right. But you could go get Botox for a lot less than four grand, right? Well, yeah, it depends on... My wife's done Botox a couple times. Maybe it's three or four hundred bucks. Yeah, where's she going? I'd like to know because that's that's pretty good. You know, Chicago's (laughs) a lot cheaper than L.A. Yeah. (laughs) Not cheaper, less expensive. Yeah, that's for sure. At least for Botox, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. Well, we have time for one more question. Alyssa wants to know, could we talk about how keratin treatments work on the hair and what the benefits and disadvantages are? Now, I'm assuming this is not keratin that's delivered from a shampoo that just rinses out, right? No, I think we're talking about a salon-level treatment. And there's a few different ones, so it's hard to lump them all into one category. But basically, the general premise of a keratin treatment is that you go to the salon, they apply, we'll call them reactive chemicals to your hair that break down your existing hair fiber structure and it provides some realignment of the chemistry of your hair to make your hair smoother, which helps reduce the appearance of frizz and allegedly helps make your hair stronger. But think the original Brazilian blowout products. Now that technology was based on methylene glycol, which when heat is applied converts to formaldehyde, and that's what Brazilian blowout got in big trouble for. But the formaldehyde was a very effective keratin treatment because the heat during the application broke the temporary bonds within your hair and then the formaldehyde could penetrate the hair fiber and uh, re-crosslink within the hair. It's uh, one of the original bond builders, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's just carcinogenic. Uh, So anyway, the hair fiber bonds would get realigned and your hair would look really straight. And the great thing is it was pretty permanent. The bad news is formaldehyde's not discretionary, so it would also cross-link within your skin, and that's the carcinogenic aspect of it. Uh, Today, that is forbidden by the FDA. People think the FDA doesn't regulate things, but you are not allowed to use formaldehyde um, in products any longer. At that high level. At that high level, correct. Intentionally added. Now, uh, today's technologies with bond builders use... Older technologies are not necessarily new, but they work within the hair. And one of them is glyoxylic acid. Have you heard of this? I have heard of glyoxylic acid, but I've never tried it. It works within a similar fashion. So you you break the hair bonds with heat and you apply this product to the hair and it realigns those bonds and crosslinks them. The, The challenge I have with it, first of all, is it stinks like crazy. Oh boy. You get this mercaptan odor, which is a, a... a sulfur odor within the hair. Um, sometimes your hair can smell like cat urine from it. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I'm personally um, not a big fan. Um, but I would say uh, this is probably less effective than formaldehyde. I don't think it makes your hair as straight, uh, but you can get some good results with it. Now, the purpose of a keratin treatment is, is not to be a relaxer. It, it's similar in that your hair formation is straightened like in a a Japanese relaxer let's say or a sodium hydroxide based relaxer but a keratin treatment is really just meant to to kind of realign everything it's not meant to be stick straight and it creates uh, some coating on the hair fiber like an extra protein coating or something it can a lot of keratin treatments also use a high dose of keratin to to form that film back on the hair so that's why they encourage you not to wash your hair as much after you get it because essentially you're washing off that coating 
Exactly. And two, you basically, when you get your hair wet, you're breaking some of those bonds that have yeah. formed and they're not always reforming. And so over time, a keratin treatment um, will loosen on the hair. A lot of people think sodium chloride has an impact on it as well. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think it does. And I've asked other hair experts who've literally studied hair keratin their whole lives. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so anyway, just another consumer misconception. But basically... The, you know, the question is, uh, what are the benefits and disadvantages? The benefit is you can have hair that looks smoother, less frizzy, especially if you have um, curly or wavy hair and yeah. you feel like it looks unkempt most of the time. A keratin treatment or even a, a relaxer, um, you know, whether it's Japanese or a traditional relaxer, um, can help you with that. The downside is these are chemical reactions within the hair and so you are really damaging your hair when you do these and it's it's not really good for the hair additionally i don't feel like you can do this application over and over on the same hair uh, without getting incredible amounts of damage Um, not only are you getting damage from the chemical reaction that's occurring you're breaking these old bonds and forming new ones but they traditionally involve lots of heat to reset the hair in the confirmation you want it. And heat is really damaging for hair. When you put heat on top of chemical um, bond breakage, it's even more exponential. And so I, I would say the disadvantage is you get a lot of breakage over time. Hair can look you know, not great over time once right. the effects wear off. And then two, the odor. Sometimes these right. uh, services just really smell. What I had a, we were working on our own uh, straightening system in my previous life. And of course, being a fan of the old Brazilian blowout treatments, I was like, yeah, I'll volunteer for it. And it was around Easter and I'm Orthodox. (laughs) So we use a lot of incense in church and and that kind of stuff. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist could smell my hair over the incense. (laughs) Over the incense. (laughs) It was awful. I smelled like a cat box that had been freshly used. It was awful. (laughs) Well, I think though, compared to like a traditional relaxer or even a thioglycolate, relaxer treatment the keratin are a little less damaging right i would think they're less damaging for sure so i guess that would be a benefit the smell is a disadvantage the fact that it is damaging anyway that's kind of a disadvantage too but uh yeah i and they're not inexpensive oh well the yeah they're not they're not cheap (laughs) yeah so i would say unless you're really dissatisfied with having to do your hair and style it every day I, I probably would, just me personally, I would pass on them. But for some people, they live and swear by them because they like the way their hair texture is transformed when they do these. So if that's you, by all means, do it. Um, just know that you may need to use some extra care in your hair afterwards to extend the life of your results. You know, I ate a lot of carrots this morning, and uh, my hair is very straight. So is it anything? orange? No. <laughs> It is not orange. <laughs> you know, I once had a friend who did an all um, beta carotene food rich diet, and her skin kind of did look orange after a couple uh, months. I, I once did that experiment where I ate three pounds of carrots in one night. Didn't really affect my, at least my skin. <laughs> it affected your plumbing, that's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of plumbing, I think I hear the music. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you get a chance, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, you can just record that on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com and you can get your voice on the show. Also, 
the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. If you like what we're doing and they like the fact that we don't have commercials, which, you know, I've been listening to more podcasts and just commercials everywhere. It's driving me nuts. They do know you can, like, skip ahead, right? Fast forward. Anyway, we are on Patreon, and we'd love the support. Go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. If you are a subscriber, you get higher priority to your questions, and you get a transcript. And as we said last show, we're going to have quarterly events just for patrons. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various human-monitored social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, X, we're at TheBeautyBrains. We have a Facebook page, and we're holding on a TikTok. We are holding on TikTok. (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. Happy New Year, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens.